Hello, listeners and fellow explorers. This is Living in the Sprawl's lovely and talented producer-slash-wife, Lisa Steinberg. I wanted to thank all of you for your continuous support of the show. As a new podcast on the scene, John and I self-support the logistics and research that go into the show. The number one way to support the show is to rate, review, and share this podcast with everyone you know. Many of you have been doing this, and it has helped immensely. I also invite you to check out our website and the show notes for other ways to support the show. We are currently working with companies we currently use ourselves to get discount codes for our listeners and support the show in the process. These companies include Every Table, Just CBD Store, Gold Belly, Cats Botanicals, and so much more. By using the links on our website, you are letting them know we sent you and in turn supporting the show. You can also support us on Patreon and Podfan. Please check out the website at livinginthesprawlpodcast.com for updates on companies we are working with, our testimonies, links, codes, and new Living in the Sprawl merchandise. Again, thank you to all of you, our lovely listeners, for tuning in every week and allowing us to do what we love. Without further ado, your humble correspondent, John Steinberg. Hello, and welcome to another installment of Living in the Sprawl, Southern California's most adventurous podcast. I am, as always, your humble host and correspondent. My name is John Steinberg, and I am joined in tandem by my immensely talented producer slash my wife. Her name is Lisa Steinberg. We are the team here at Sprawl Enterprises ready to bring you yet another exciting foray into the vast, expansive terrain that we have lovingly dubbed The Sprawl. On today's program, we take a look at the cinematic universe you never knew actually existed. Well, it really doesn't. It's more of a construct from the team here at Sprawl Enterprises. Suffice to say, we're going to be examining 10 uniquely different films that all are set in Beverly Hills. To go a little bit further, not only are they set in the 90210, they even have the city's name in their title. Beverly Hills has, hmm, shall we say a reputation, a well-deserved reputation. Its association with the uber-wealthy has inevitably been broadcast around the country and around the globe. What was once a quaint area between Hollywood and the rest of the West Side was turned into one of the most posh, exclusive communities on planet Earth around, oh, a hundred or so years ago. In film, or when we think about Beverly Hills, it would be natural for us to consider something like Pretty Woman. Recalling the scene where Richard Gere helps Julia Roberts make a statement at a snooty clothing store on Rodeo Drive. Marcellus and Mia Wallace live in Beverly Hills, as does the Big Lebowski, and indeed, an entire iconic 90s teen soap opera graced the Fox airwaves, alerting an entire planet to the reputation that we mentioned is so well-deserved in the 90210. But a number of years ago, I began to notice a trend. There seemed to be an inordinate amount of films that would actually include the words Beverly Hills in their title 
as something of a marketing ploy or as a way to try and tap in to a pre-existing notion of familiarity. Audiences respond to that with which they are already familiar. So, what we have here today is a compilation, a list of the 10 films that include Beverly Hills in the title that you should see before announcing your bona fides as an expert on the 90210. Let's begin at number 10, Beverly Hills Bratz. This little gem cruised into theaters in 1989. It's a little bit hard to track down. So for those that don't want to go the extra mile, let me just give you the basics. We have an affluent family because, well, it is Beverly Hills. We have a workaholic father portrayed by way too qualified for this movie, Martin Sheen. And we have a neglected child. And wouldn't you know it, hijinks ensue. Scooter, the story's protagonist, son of Martin Sheen, engineers a scheme by which he hopes to regain his father's favor. And I'm not entirely sure what the long-term plan is following that. In any event, this production is a nice passport to a certain time and place in America. This is George H.W. Bush's America. We have a lot of frizzy hair, even more unflattering pairs of pants, and, of course, a snappy soundtrack that sounds as though it were recorded on something hovering just above a Casio keyboard. If you want to see good old President Jed Bartlett from the West Wing slumming it with a capital S, then take a dive into the world of Beverly Hills Bratz. Number nine, Beverly Hills Wedding. Now this one came out just last year. It's a Hallmark movie, and its cast is composed of largely unknown Canadian actors. Actually, the star of the film, Brooke Diorsi, she plays Molly, has a fairly robust resume. I actually went through the IMDb page, and amongst her credits are five, count them, one, two, three, four, five movies with the word Christmas in the title. So that should clue you in to the type of aesthetic we're going for with this one. We have Diorsi, portrays Molly, whose younger sister Sophia is about to get hitched. Unbeknownst to Sophia, her older sister has actually entered her in a contest to see who will be so fortunate as to hold their wedding in the 90210 all expenses paid. So we get a family planning a Beverly Hills wedding. A number of complications arise because there wouldn't be a movie if that didn't happen. And in the end, we can safely assume how this one is going to conclude. It's frothy, fun with the opposite of a capital F. And it begs the question, if someone told you you stood to win an all-expenses-paid wedding to be held in Beverly Hills, would you bother to ask specifically where? Because that is not really identified until far too late in the process for some. 
For those interested in a Hallmark perspective on life in the 90210, check out Beverly Hills Wedding. Number eight, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. We have here the voice of Drew Barrymore as the titular Chihuahua. Piper Paribu from Coyote Ugly is in the mix. And most notably, the film stars, although she's only really in it for about seven minutes, Hollywood legend Jamie Lee Curtis. If you can't wager a guess as to the plot of this production, I can't say I blame you. We do have a pet chihuahua, and we are located in Beverly Hills. So it's not your ordinary canine forward sort of film. The dogs in Beverly Hills, wouldn't you know, are all dressed extravagantly. We see many designer ensembles, which owners dress their pups in. And Chloe, the singular Beverly Hills Chihuahua, has a diamond necklace dangling from around her neck. We wind up in Mexico. We meet some other dogs voiced by figures definitely slumming it, such as Andy Garcia and George Lopez. It's a farce, a caper, something decidedly meant for children. And honestly, most of the film takes place in Mexico. We only really get a beginning and an ending that transpire within the bounds of Beverly Hills. On paper, any movie starring a cast featuring Drew Barrymore and Jamie Lee Curtis and Andy Garcia should be something on a film buff's radar. But when it's Beverly Hills Chihuahua, not totally sure that happens to be the case. I'll be honest, I died a little bit inside when I found out that Beverly Hills Chihuahua made $30 million in its opening weekend on way to a total gross just underneath the $100 million threshold. So the entire run of Licorice Pizza didn't make $20 million, let alone 30 in its first weekend, let alone 95 in totality. Having said that, it's a film for children, one that delighted audiences, so much so that a pair of sequels were fast-tracked so that Beverly Hills Chihuahua is now considered a franchise. If you've got kids, you'd like to laugh at dogs in designer outfits and hear the sound of Drew Barrymore working to probably pay off a yacht somewhere in the Mediterranean, Beverly Hills Chihuahua is for you. Number seven, Beverly Hills Madam. This one comes to us from the year of our Lord, 1986. Came out six weeks before I was born. This made-for-television feature stars legendary performer Faye Dunaway. Additionally, the cast is also highlighted by such notable names as Robin Givens and Dan Aykroyd's wife, or I guess very recently announced ex-wife, Donna Dixon. Dunaway plays the madam in question, presiding over a stable of escorts who encounter all sorts of obstacles and challenges as they embark upon this new career path. As I said, this was a made-for-television film, having originally aired on ABC, and truthfully, 
really doesn't seem like the proper outlet for such a production. For those televised promos that typically air during sporting events, it's a little hard to picture watching a game, more specifically, watching the Clippers take on the Warriors with the announcers advertising Beverly Hills Madam, Sunday at 9, and having to address the question probably posed by a five-year-old, Daddy, what is a madam? I don't know how I would answer that. Faye Dunaway here is very much in the throes of a jaunt in her filmography that does not resemble most of what came before it. The star of Bonnie and Clyde, Network, and Chinatown certainly had some, um, shall we say, lean years during the 80s. This is the Mommy Dearest period. Still... This is a pretty intriguing film in many ways because of who's in it. As I stated earlier, Robin Givens has a main role. So this came out right before her torrid romance with Iron Mike Tyson and all the drama that was to emanate from that particular relationship. The soft lighting, characters speaking in a pitch that falls somewhere just above a whisper, it's all so 1980s, from the outfits, to the automobiles, to the mansions that we see for fleeting seconds. Beverly Hills Madam, the television movie that aired on NBC, is pretty much exactly what you would assume it to be. Except for the fact that it has such a strange brew of performers. And the film is definitely worthy of having on in the background while you're folding laundry, if only for that reason. And number six, The Beverly Hillbillies. Not the television show, the feature film from the early 90s. This one was helmed by comedic heavyweight Penelope Spiris, who was riding high in the early 90s, coming off the blockbuster success of Wayne's World. And this reboot of the immensely popular television series has the same aesthetic as Wayne's World and the Brady Bunch movie and a few other theatrical versions of television shows that found their way to the big screen in the early to mid-90s. Here we have Jim Varney as Jed Clampett, you might recognize him as Ernest from the Ernest franchise. We've also got a heavily disguised Lily Tomlin, Dabney Coleman, Erica Alaniac from Baywatch, and most notably, Diedrich Bader from Office Space. This is Lawrence from Office Space and the Drew Carey Show. The plot doesn't make a great deal of sense, but that's okay because the conception of the Beverly Hillbillies never made a great deal of sense to begin with. To summarize, after Jed Clampett and company stumble upon one of the largest oil discoveries in American history, they pack it on up and head west from Arkansas to Beverly Hills, California. The whole idea is a fish-out-of-water situation. Oh, look at these country bumpkins that don't understand the meaning behind sticking out your middle finger. In spite of its blatant silliness, 
There's a charm on display here. Maybe it's the inclusion of figures like Dolly Parton, who makes an extended cameo, the original Jed Clampett, Buddy Ebsen, who appears here in his second most popular role as Detective Barnaby Jones, or the inclusion of conniving couple Rob Schneider and Leah Thompson. You can see the jokes coming from five miles away, but when the high school bully picks on a young Kevin Connolly, and instead of asking for his lunch money, he agrees to take a fee in traveler's checks, there's something, as I said, a little bit charming about how ridiculous everything is the same way that we felt when we saw the driving Bohemian Rhapsody scene for the first time from Wayne's World. This is one I used to watch quite a bit as a kid because it was always on television, always on HBO. And what can I say? I have a pretty soft spot for the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, also, the mansion which the Clampets move into that we see in the film is the same one that Whitney Houston's character resides in The Bodyguard. Little weird, thought it was worth mentioning. The Beverly Hillbillies. If you liked Wayne's World, you will probably like this one. Number five, Slums of Beverly Hills from 1998. Natasha Lyonne, star of Netflix's Russian Doll, plays Vivian, a 14-year-old coming to terms with growing up in a poor family in the shadow of the laughably wealthy residents of Beverly Hills. Co-starring Academy Award winners Alan Arkin and Marissa Tomei, this indie examines the 90210 from a different vantage point. What does Beverly Hills look like to folks who reside on the fringes of the city? For this coming-of-age tale revolves around a family who go from motel to motel so that Natasha Leone's Vivian can remain a student at one of the best public high schools in the country. Natasha Leone demonstrates the aw shucks, self-deprecating spirit that would come to define her career in projects like Orange is the New Black and the aforementioned Russian Doll. Alan Arkin is his usual wisecracking self, while Marissa Tomei deftly handles the role of the family's wild child cousin with grace and humor like she always does. Watching Slums of Beverly Hills today, a little bit of a throwback, not a movie that gets made a ton in today's increasingly corporatized landscape. David Krumholtz supplies plenty of laughs, as Vivian's misbegotten brother, and writer-director Tamara Jenkins delivers a take on the coming-of-age narrative loaded with meaningful moments and hearty laughter. It was a delight to revisit Slums of Beverly Hills. Hadn't seen this one since I was a teenager myself. Definitely a fun rewatch for those who checked this one out in the 90s or the folks that would like to see what Natasha Leone was up to before she was hosting Saturday Night Live and starring in a hit comedy on Netflix. 
Number four, Troop Beverly Hills, starring Shelley Long. Diane from TV's Cheers decided to throw caution to the wind, preferring a career on the big screen to one seen by a massive televised audience. Shelley Long kind of dazzles here. She portrays a happy enough Beverly Hills housewife married to majorly successful something, Craig T. Nelson. But when we first visit the couple, their marriage has hit a bit of a skid. Craig T. Nelson chastises Shelley Long for her materialism, a lack of drive, and overall... I mean, what he's basically railing against is that he's married to a real housewife of Beverly Hills before that was something that was fashionable. So to disprove her husband's contentions, Shelley Long decides to become a Girl Scout troop leader. With her daughter in tow, she assumes the role of the Big Cheese presiding over the activities of Troop Beverly Hills. But she does march to the beat of her own drum rather than obtaining badges for things like woodworking or learning how to start a fire only using tools you can find in nature. She instead has the troop accumulate badges for achievements like best hair, best nails, and a number of other pursuits that would really only apply to residents of a place like Beverly Hills. Rock star Jenny Lewis actually portrays the daughter of Shelley Long and Craig T. Nelson. A young Carla Gugino is also in the cast, and noted director Betty Thomas appears as the film's principal antagonist. This comes to us from the director of Revenge of the Nerds. So even though at times the troupe stumbles a bit, the cast's comedic chops and whimsical performance of Shelley Long make this one stand out from the pack. Shelley Long's career didn't go the way of someone like Jennifer Aniston, but she does have Troop Beverly Hills, The Money Pit, and the Brady Bunch movies on her CV. And you know what? That's not too bad. This one is unironically pretty funny. A delight that will make even the most miserly of viewers smile just a bit. It's Troop Beverly Hills personifying life in the 90210 in the late 80s. And number three, Beverly Hills Ninja. This is one of Chris Farley's last performances. And when you go back and revisit a movie such as this, you can't help but find yourself saddened by his untimely passing. The physical comedy that he gets up to in Beverly Hills Ninja is off the charts. Kevin James or whomever is trying their hand at being the best physical comedian today has nothing on Chris Farley. Through an unbelievable series of events, a young Westerner finds himself growing up with a cohort of aspiring Japanese ninjas. And even though Haru, character played by Farley, doesn't have the physical presence required to be a ninja or many of the other requisite qualities, 
He nevertheless aspires to be a ninja like his adopted brothers anyway. Through an even more unbelievable series of additional events, he finds himself on the loose in Beverly Hills, hot on the trail of one Sally Jones. Nicolette Sheridan, who audiences may remember most vividly as Edie Britt from Desperate Housewives, portrays the, I guess we're supposed to believe she's a love interest, but definitely the impetus for why Haru travels to Beverly Hills. We get some great young Chris Rock on display here, like the Beverly Hillbillies, some fun fish-out-of-water moments with locals, and Chris Farley's Haru not necessarily seeing eye-to-eye. But Beverly Hills, in this context, is sort of just a backdrop. Farley, above and beyond everything else, is the component to fixate on here. There's one scene in particular that occurs at a strip club, which um, there are no strip clubs in Beverly Hills, where the dancing that he gets up to, the physical comedy, we haven't seen it since he died in 1997. Nicolette Sheridan's Sally Jones doesn't give the audience a heck of a lot to contemplate other than her appearance. The villain seems like he's been recycled from the lesser James Bond movies from the 1980s. So we're here for Chris Farley. And even though the elements around his performance are not worthy of being mentioned in the same breath as him, this is what we get in Beverly Hills Ninja. Watch this one for Chris Farley alone, and it's worth your time. Number two, Down and Out in Beverly Hills from 1986. Richard Dreyfuss, Nick Nolte, and Bette Midler star in this comedy that begins with a homeless transient breaking and entering a private residence in Beverly Hills and proceeding to attempt suicide by drowning in the family's swimming pool. It's not typically the combination of ingredients you'd expect to find in your 1980s mainstream comedy, but nevertheless, Down and Out in Beverly Hills excels in its uniquely 1980s lane. There seems like no better performer than one Nick Nolte to have cast to play the homeless transient. Nick Nolte sounds like somebody that might have difficulty obtaining permanent housing. Someone who has probably had a little bit more than a dalliance with substances. And his comfortable relationship with his own character is very well juxtaposed with that of Richard Dreyfus. The uptight, nebbishy patriarch of the family that we meet in this one. For some reason, Nick Nolte's transient homeless gentleman has the solutions to everyone's problems. Bette Midler finds herself very sexually attracted to Nick Nolte here. The family's son quickly forms a close relationship to Nolte. So does Dreyfus. And so does The Family Dog. It's a fantastical film about obtaining wisdom in the most unlikely of sources. 
The Beverly Hills we see here isn't the one that the events of Pretty Woman would indicate. It's Beverly Hills as a suburb, an enclave where the wealthy live, yes, but in the end, they are all just like us with human foibles, problems, and miles to go before being able to sleep. Down and Out in Beverly Hills was a financial success upon being released, and it even inspired a briefly seen television program adapted from the original material starring Hector Elizondo. Down and Out in Beverly Hills is an absolute delight, proving that even when we think we've seen it all, we really haven't. Just ask Nick Nolte. And that means we have arrived at our number one spot. Not a huge surprise. Number one on our list of 10 films that embody the Beverly Hills aesthetic. Of course it's Beverly Hills Cop. In 1984, audiences were introduced to Axel Foley for the first time. The brash, foul-mouthed Detroit detective transplanted to the 90210 attempting to solve a rather complex murder-theft situation. This is where audiences on a mainstream level really fell in love with Eddie Murphy. This captures Murphy at the apex of his career, the pinnacle of his powers, coming off an immensely successful run on Saturday Night Live, Murphy enjoyed one of the most lucrative runs anyone has ever gone on with his 1980s slate. 48 Hours, Trading Places, Coming to America, and Beverly Hills Cop cemented his legacy as one of comedy's all-time big screen legends. Beverly Hills Cop would inspire two sequels, and you'll notice neither one of them appeared on this list, but this original really certifies the sweet spot. Axel Foley hits Beverly Hills like an out-of-control Mack truck, getting into it with the folks at the Beverly Palms Hotel, which is actually the Biltmore in downtown. Axel mixes it up with art dealer Serge, the incomparable Bronson Pinchot, and buddies up to a couple of loosely regulated members of the BHPD, one of them being Judge Reinhold's Billy Rosewood. The scene where Axel meets Serge alone is worthy of a rewatch, or just a watch if you've never seen Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop, of any of the films discussed here, best handles the balance between demonizing Beverly Hills and saluting it. We get the opulence, rarefied air stuff, but then we also get interactions with some characters that seem incredibly ordinary. If you were one of the millions who swooned whenever Eddie Murphy would issue his unforgettable laugh, or whether you just absolutely loved the theme music from Beverly Hills Cop, chances are you'll enjoy the experience if you check in with Axel and company in the 2020s as well. The best version of a movie to utilize the exploits and drawbacks of Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills Cop is nothing short of a masterpiece. 
And that's going to do it for another episode of the program. We'd like to thank everyone for their continued support. It does mean the world to us. A couple of easy ways to express that support. Hop on Apple, iTunes, click the purple icon, leave us a five-star review or five-star rating and a kind review. If you'd like to write us an email, please do so. We're always interested in suggestions as to topics we should look into covering on the show. And you can reach us at livinginthesprawlpodcast at gmail.com. Also follow us on Instagram. The handle is livinginthesprawlpodcast. And we'd like to remind you about our Patreon Apple subscriptions page where we have bonus content only available to our wonderful subscribers. It's there that you can get access to our archive of episodes where we get into the best burgers and the sprawl, ice cream, fish markets, pancakes, and a ton of other bonus stuff. Our website That's the place where you can get your hands on exclusive Living in the Sprawl merchandise. If you can think of it and we can make it happen, the website is the place to get your hands on merchandise. Magnets, really sleek mugs. Again, if you can think of it, Living in the Sprawl, the website is where you can get your hands on it. It's also there that you can snap up one of our Living in the Sprawl guides or cheat sheet for everything that we have covered since we launched the show way back when. So on behalf of myself, I am, as always, your humble host and correspondent. My name is John Steinberg, joined by my partner in all things, my lovely and talented producer slash wife. Her name is Lisa Lowe. Ooh, Lisa Steinberg, sorry. We are the team here at Sprawl Enterprises, thanking you again for listening to another episode of Living in the Sprawl, so the California's most adventurous podcast. We'll talk to you soon.